and there may be more here. And so the church is not just an American thing. Uh, as the Bible teaches, it is international. We, we live here in America, and so we love this country. It's allowed us to worship, allowed us to practice what Jesus has taught us. But our greatest love is Jesus. Yes, that's where we as a church says, God bless America. America bless God. We love America. Even more, we love Jesus. And that's part of what makes us worship here together. Uh, as we've worshipped already this morning. And so I want to talk about how Jesus is the light of the world uh, as given to us in John chapter 8, verse 12. And I think this is uh, especially uh, fitting I, in this season. And this is just a crazy season in America. Uh, I, I don't know in my lifetime if I've ever experienced anything like this in our country of the season that we're in politically, country, um, where there is, I think, among believers, a general unrest of an uncertainty. Not yet sure what's going to happen with where we're at. I was listening to the radio, one person calling in to a, a show, and, and they were just talking about the, the political candidates that are in front of them, and, and they were kind of just frustrated because they were saying, you know, I want to be able to tell my children to look at our president, whomever they might be, and say, look, here's an example of some integrity. Example of some character. And this person calling in was frustrated because they didn't feel like that was out there. Uh, and those that are, are running uh, at this season. And, and so they were just kind of walking away, dejected. And I was just thinking, it is nice to have our country leaders being people of example. But that's not where our hope is. Never has been. And I think if anything in this season, maybe it's brought that to more clarity. We don't put hopes in governments. We don't put hopes in presidents, our senators, our representatives, our governors. And so this is, if anything, a time for us to say, who is the light of the world? And so it is at this point that I think it might be really fitting just to go to John chapter 8 verse 12, and see exactly what Jesus was claiming here as the vacation Bible school we've taught and looked at uh, throughout this past week as, as I loved how the theme of each day was to pointing out Jesus Christ and what he provides. Uh, and so when the first day was Jesus provides the light in a cave, we took, look at the cave in the darkness and how Jesus is the light of our life to give us guidance and direction. And so I'm going to uh, ask we read this together, we're going to look at verse 12, I'm going to focus on verse 12, uh, but I'm going to read together. We're going to read verse 12 through 20. Uh, and so let's stand together in honor of what this is, God's word, as uh, it is the form, it is the direction for our life to reveal to us who Jesus is, who God is. And again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself, and your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I come from and where I'm going. 
but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And they said to him, therefore, where's your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he sought in the temple, as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. You may be seated. So I'm just going to focus on this verse 12 where Jesus says, I am the light of the, of the world. I want to first look at the metaphor, that light of the world. Uh, let's consider that. Then we're going to look a little bit of what uh, he was claiming in that. And then what he calls us to uh, when he calls us to follow him. Uh, as the light of the world. So this light of the world, and, and when we think about the light of the world, the first thing that should come to our mind is the sun. Uh, that is what we know as the light of the world, though God created light apart from the sun. It's interesting when you read that in Genesis, how God created the first things, one of the first things he says, let there be light, and there was light, and then later he made a sun. And so this light, this concept of light, really is unique to who God is. In fact, in Revelation we learn that there will not be a sun, but yet there will be light that shines from who Jesus is. Uh, and so this is something we see in the Bible as this metaphor uh, of who Christ is, who God is, the, the sun. And so uh, when we see, think about the sun, we know that, first of all, this is the source of life, right? We cannot live apart from the sun, apart from the light. It's what causes plants to grow, which in turn gives us air to breathe and allows our climate to be what it is. We have to have light. And so in one way, when you look at this metaphor, it's the source of life, but also it's the source of truth. How we know anything, how we discern uh, is by the fact that there is light, there is the sun. And so it's not that we just see the sun, we don't just see the light, but it is through the light that we see everything else, all right? So it's how we learn, it, how we know what truth is. You might look at this and think, uh, well, you know what, Jared, it looks like you're in the middle of an aquarium. <laughs> it does kind of feel like that, all right? But unless you've ever seen a cave. If you've seen a cave, then you know, okay, they have these stalagmites and stalactites and, and when the interesting stuff like the scene that's back there. And so I will recognize, oh, that's like a cave that looks kind of like an aquarium. How do you know that? Because I've seen an aquarium and I've seen a cave. It's, it's how I discern what's going on around me. All right? So it is light. Uh, the light of the world is this metaphor of not only the source of life, but the source of truth. Knowing one thing from another. But it also, light is, can be likened to joy, a source of joy. You think about that uh, when your child is scared because it's dark. Or maybe they wake you up in the middle of the night because they had a nightmare. You don't go into the room and say, oh, well, let me cut off all the lights. <laughs> no, let me cut on the light because there is this sense of, of joy, of, of knowing it's okay. I was thinking about this recently. I was trying to figure out what would be worse, dying in a submarine or dying in an airplane. 
I, I don't know why we got on this subject, but we just did. Uh, and then for some reason, I have this fear of submarines. I don't like being in submarines. I just like, you know, it's okay to visit, but let me out. I don't like being in that submarine. And for those of you who served in the Navy and did that, you've got something I can't do. Uh, and I thought, well, what's the difference between that and an airplane? Because I go in an airplane and it doesn't quite hit me the same. I don't have this phobia hit me. Uh, I thought, well, you know, if I get out of the airplane, I can't breathe either. I'm going to die there, same as if I get out of the submarine. But I realized it's light. There's the, the, uh, the idea of I can see out a window. Uh, and if, even if I jump out of the airplane, I'm going to die, but it's going to look good for a while. You know? <laughs> It's just gonna. It's just gonna be. It's gonna be exhilarating for a second. The land is a little iffy, but you know. Uh, but in, in a submarine, it's like in darkness, and then you suffocate and die. And just I realized that was the source of my fear, and it had everything to do with light. And so light is actually kind of a, a source of joy uh, for us uh, in in this world that we know today. So that's the metaphor. You look at this metaphor that Jesus is saying, "I am the light of the world." It's, he's saying, "I am the source of truth." I am the source of life. I am the source of joy of, of what you know in your life. And so let's look a little bit more at this claim. Uh, and this is where the context really matters here. Uh, so again, Jesus spoke to them. You notice that phrase, verse 12. So he's, he's given us a little hint of when this is happening. So when is this happening? Well, you've got to go back and say, well, what did he say before? That now he's saying again. Well, you go back to John chapter 7, verse 37. It gives us the context. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So this great feast, we know, is the Feast of Tabernacles. So Jesus is in Jerusalem there and the temple as they celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles was where the Jews, the Jews would especially recognize and remember how God was faithful to them in the Exodus journey. Going from the, uh, Egypt into the Promised Land. And so they would uh, celebrate by setting up these temporary booths, these shelters... Uh, to remind themselves how they lived this way for over 40 years as they journeyed. And then in this time, they would also recognize God's provision of water. And so in John seven thirty seven, he's at this point where they're recognizing God's provision of water and saying, well, Jesus is the source of living water. And so it, it goes back to the Exodus journey where Moses uh, hit a rock with a staff and out of this rock flowed water. Then later on, God commanded Moses to speak to the rock. He disobeyed because of his anger and struck it again. But yet still, God was gracious and gave water out of that rock. And so that's that, that memory. And so, uh, when he says again in John chapter 8, verse 12, he speaks. He said, this is happening at this time. The last day, the Feast of Tabernacles. But to go to verse 20, he tells us where. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. John was kind of surprised. Jesus is saying he's the light of the world and no one's arresting him. What's the, what's the big crime of that? Why is no one arresting him? Why is no one trying to kill him? Though he's saying this. Well, in the treasury, on, the la- on this tabernacle season, would be a huge candelabra. Lights coming from this candelabra. And it was a picture again of God's faithfulness in the Exodus journey. You remember the Exodus journey 
It talks about how um, uh, God came and led them. Uh, first, he would lead them by a pillar of a cloud by day. And so this pillar of cloud would provide shelter from the sun, but would guide them where they would go, as well as when the uh, Pharaoh's army was going after them, the, the cloud protected the Israelites. And then at nighttime, this cloud evidently would start radiating and become a pillar of fire to guide them as they journeyed at night, as well as to provide light for them in their journey. And so in the Exodus story, this cloud, when they built the tabernacle, uh, then resided in the tabernacle to show that this is God's presence here among them. And so they would remember this with this candelabra. But this is the last day of the feast. And so in the last day, they're putting the candelabra away. So, okay, festivities are coming to a close. And you know how that's a sad thing anyway? You know, you put down your Christmas tree at light, and you put down the Christmas decoration. Everything looks so... We did this with VBS. We, we put down the, took down the uh, decorations in the hallway, and everyone was like, man, this is so bare, you know? It was so cool with the black lights and all this stuff, and it's just like, this is, it's over. Well, there's that same type of season or feeling in this, uh, this uh, festival, and in that moment where they're feeling the loss of the candelabra, but even more, they feel the loss of God's presence. Because in Isaiah, God said, the glory of God has left this temple. There's no more, this Shekinah glory is what's called this cloud of God's presence. It's no more happening. And so when they see the candelabra gone, not only the festivities coming to an end, it reminds them once again, God's presence isn't here. It's in that moment, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. So you see what Jesus is claiming? He's claiming that glory of God, that pillar, uh, that light that we have always known associated with God's presence, his glory, that's me. That's me. I, I am the light of the world. You notice that word, the light of the world? So um, last night, um, an author passed away. Eli Witzel, um, I would recommend you read some of his books if you've never done it. Um, he was a Holocaust survivor. Uh, he wrote an autobiographical uh, work called Night, and he had a trilogy of it, uh, Dawn, Day, later on. But the Night book is the one that especially goes into the horrors of growing up in Romania, then brought into uh, the prison camps of Germany. And so the title is significant. He said, on that first night began a night that would forever be in my day, my life. That would be seven times cursed over. I will never forget this night of which I will always live in. As he uses it, describes his loss of belief, what he thought about who God is, about his family, about mankind, seeing the horrors of who they are. It was described as he passed away yesterday on the Sabbath day uh, that a light has gone. A light has gone as he passed away. And I thought about that, especially as we're reading this text. We have lights, but Jesus is saying, I'm not a light, I am the light. There are people, they may point to the glory of God, 
And I believe that Eli Wilson pointed to the glory of God in different ways. But Jesus is the glory of God. You can look at other uh, religious leaders and other moral instructors and they say, you know, I will point the way, but Jesus is saying, I am the way. Others may be moons, but Jesus is saying, I am the sun. That's a huge difference between these two. And so you see this in the, the Feast of Tabernacles. You, you think about this when uh, Mount of Transfiguration. Luke 9 describes this, as well as in Mark uh, chapter 8. And in Luke 9, it, it describes that Jesus is there. Moses and Elijah come to the scene. And when that happens... Jesus starts glowing. The glory of God is there on Jesus, and he's starting to glow, and Peter, James, and John are all witnessing this. And the Bible says, it's interesting, they start talking about his departure to come. You know what the word is for that? We, we don't get it in English. It, it, the word for that is, Jesus is talking about the exodus with Moses and Elijah. And so what is... What is uh, Peter want to do. The Bible describes, I love how it describes Peter. Peter starts talking not knowing what to say. That's how he describes it. Like, that's so true. And so he starts saying, well, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Hey, maybe we should build some booths for these three. Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. Why did he do that? Because they're talking about the Exodus. But then a voice comes from heaven. And he says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. In other words, don't put him in the same camp with Moses and Elijah. He is the glory of God. Listen to him. Don't sit up booze and say that Jesus is one of great, many great people. No, he is unique in who he is. So uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about the call. What is he calling us to you notice how he says that i'm the light of the world whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life well think about this for a second if you have the sun gives us life it gives us truth it gives us joy but if you don't have it without some filters if you don't have it with a mediator the source of life can destroy us, right? If you get too close to the sun, you burn up. If you look into the sun, you lose your sight. And if you see yourself too clearly, you get utterly destroyed on who you are. You ever seen those little uh, special mirrors have the extra light on your face? How many of you like looking in those things? <laughs> there, there shouldn't be any one of us that like, yeah, let me look into that. Because, why not? Because it illuminates us way too much. I don't want to see those pores. Why are they dark? What, what's with that? I've never seen that wrinkle so big in my life, you know? Is that really there? We don't want that much light. It can ruin our joy. It can ruin your life. It can ruin your sight. So when Jesus says, follow me, follow me, 
what is that saying? What, what is the effect? What is the call? First of all, he says, I will be the mediator. So we'll no longer destroy. You remember when Moses was, was in the Exodus journey? He said, God, let me see your glory. Let me see your glory. And, and God said to Moses, you can't handle that. And just puts him in, in a cleft so he can see just parts of his glory. Jesus now is saying something totally different. He says, I want you to follow me, and when you're one with me, you're one with God. Now, that's amazing. To say that we're one with God, one with life, one with, uh, with truth. And it's not just some metaphysical sense here. Uh, when we see beautiful things... It makes us, it can make you ache sometimes. Have you ever done that? You ever saw something so beautiful, it was just like this ache inside of you. And it was an ache because you couldn't quite get enough of the beauty. I mean, at some point you had to walk away. At some point it had to go away. And it's like you just wanted it so much. How can you become part of that? I believe part of why guys look for pretty girls is because they want to be joined with a pretty girl. But you can't quite do that. Because the girl doesn't stay pretty. Right? Am I saying something wrong in that? Okay. <laughs> you got you to you you fight with truth sometimes, you know. Uh, but that's what happens. We, we all deteriorate. We have to say goodbye. Guys, there's a longing that God's put in your heart you cannot have satisfied by a woman. There's a longing for beauty that can only be satisfied by God. And women, there's a longing for beauty that you can't attain yourself. But to be one with Christ. So he says, I'm the light of the world. Follow me. What is he calling us to do? It's not just to see beauty. It's to be part of beauty. So, when he calls us to follow the light of the world, he's calling us to live with consistency, with integrity. Every once in a while, it's kind of funny uh, when you have children... And they kind of develop their own personalities um, that's totally different from you. And you just see them do some quirky things from time to time. And you live with them. So, you know, it's inevitable that sometime you'll see them do something that they didn't really think anyone was watching. <laughs> You're just kind of some funky dance or something, you know. And you just kind of let them know, <clears throat> you know. And there's this, this sheepish grin that they have on their face like, oh, I didn't know anyone was watching. You know, and that's humorous with children when we see things like that. But it gets a lot more sinister, doesn't it? When we realize that God sees us every moment, every day, in the dark places of our mind. He sees that. So anytime we really think that we're kind of big on ourselves, like we got, hey man, watch me, let me show you how to do something. Just imagine for a moment that God just collected all of your thoughts for that week, and we're going to have a little movie, and we're going to watch your thoughts. 
It just brings us to our knees. We go running and we go fleeing and we definitely walk away humbled. But that is the truth of what God does. He knows and sees. And so there's a part of this that says he is the light of the world. There's this aspect of that that is not very encouraging sometimes because we think, oh, no. There are no secrets with God. He shines light on every corner. It's the secrets that we have that have the dark places where death and destruction can reign. The secrets that we keep. Every once in a while you will have opportunity if you have children or you confront others. That in the moment of confronting, it's always good to remind them. You have an opportunity here. You have an opportunity. Either you can open up and tell us all that's going on in your heart and mind. And in that moment, you will be reassured that a love of a mom and dad is still there, regardless of whatever it is you're about to reveal. That's a sweet moment, but it comes at revelation. Or, you could choose to keep your secrets, and then from this point on, you will have to find some energy to sustain two lives. The life of what you want to be projected as, and the life of who you really are. And you will bear the weight of two lives when God's given you one heart and one mind. The choice is yours. What will you do? When Jesus calls us to follow him, the light of the world, he is calling us to live with consistency, with integrity, and he gives us the means where we can do it. Because we say, God, do you realize that if I'm going to follow you, I'm going to have to reveal everything? Jesus is like, yeah, I already know that. And I already know what the everything is. And though I know the everything, I still bring my love to you. I die for you. I know everything. I know those dark things already. And I still extend this invitation to you. Will you walk with that compassion? Will you walk with that forgiveness? No pride is allowed here. Because you have no grounds for it. Will you walk down that path where you say, God, here is my sin. I confess it. I will no longer try to live two lives. Jesus Christ sees everything and someday the light will come up. Don't go under the silly notion that you think you're getting away with it. Most things will be revealed in this life and certainly in what's to come. He says, I could judge if I wanted to. My judgment would be right. Because it's not just me. It's the Father who judges with me. Yet he says, in this moment, I've come to save you. When he calls you to follow the light of the world, he's calling us to consistency, integrity. But he's also calling us to live attractively. Live beautifully, as the light demands. So what does it mean to live attractively? To say that you are the light of the world. 
If Jesus is beautiful, is there anything beautiful about you? Not how we look. But how well do you take criticism? When people watch you, how do you treat the people who are under your care? How do you deal with other people? When you handle trouble, when you handle pain. Miss Linda Myers is in our church. She would normally be in the choir singing about right there. She's been dealing with cancer. When she moved here, she moved here after her husband died. I shared with her this past week because the doctors are not very promising about her life at all. It's in her liver. There's not much able to do. Now it's just a matter of quality of life. How can we deal with the pain to allow you to do some of the things you want to do and spend time with your children and your grandchildren? And she said, and I want to go to church. I want to sing. I want to sing in the choir. Can you, can you give something for me to deal with the pain so I can sing in the choir? You'd recognize her. She's the smiling one in choir. There's more than one. <laughs> but she's definitely one of them. I had gone from uh, a haircut her place straight from there to the hospital. And they were asking about her. And I said, will you please tell her we love her? And I told her that, and I said, I don't know if they would say the same thing about me, but they're going to say it about you, because you are dear. You're beautiful. And cancer is a part of that beauty. But it's what Christ does with cancer. Is your life attractive? And let me just warn you, there's going to be a little bit of pain involved with that for people to really catch you. Anybody can be happy when it's good and everyone around them is lovely. You don't stand out. But the light always shines in the darkness. When God calls you, Jesus says, follow me. You will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Not only will be there consistency, but there will be the light of life. People will say, I want that. Light of life. You've got something. You've got forgiveness. You've got grace. You've got love. You've got joy. You've got peace. I was reading an article this morning about uh, Ellie Whistle's death. And uh, a rabbi was visiting with him the last day. And he asked for blessing of the priestly blessing over his life. And it caught my mind for the very first time. You see this in Numbers and other places in Scripture where he prayed over him. And he prayed, may the light of God shine upon you. May his countenance lift you up. May you give you peace. But may the light of God shine upon you. Jesus is saying, that's me. That's me. May we pray that for ourselves. God, would you let your light shine on me? Let your spirit pervade my heart, my thinking, my attitude, my reactions. Let your light shine in me so that people see the light of life. Is it attractive? 
but also when he calls us to follow him so we will not walk in darkness but have the light of light, he is calling us to live courageously. To live showing the light is to be different. And people won't like some of this difference. Yes, they'll be attracted to some of this, but there's another part of it when it costs them that they're not going to like. What might that be? I remember one of my first jobs working in the Christmas tree farms on, in uh, Ash County, Watauga County, just making extra cash, and I was working alongside of them, and man, it was hard work carrying trees down a mountain and loading them up and getting sap all over you, uh, and you, I mean, it ruined the smell of Christmas trees for years. Uh, but I remember doing that, and like the second, third day, I had some of the guys saying, hey man, you need to slow down your work. See, we're all kind of working together, and you're messing it up. You're making us look bad. It's these little things like that, that this constant, hey, don't work as unto God. Hey, don't show compassion to someone else. Hey, hey, resist those bribes. Because, you know, if you, if you take those bribes, then we all can take those bribes. But if you don't, then you mess it up for the rest of it. There's all these thousands of ways that the light is different from the world in your day. So let me ask you, just simply bring this up. If you are not telling, if someone's not telling you, stop, then it's probably because you're not living courageous to what God has called you to do. Because there's no question that this is a dark world. And don't be surprised when the darkness curses the light. If the darkness is not cursing you, then maybe it's because there's not much light showing. There's going to be a courage. Don't be a coward. But then as we read this, it gives us hope as well. He's calling us to live a life of hope. Because the light hasn't fully shown in this world yet. But it will one day. This is a beautiful world. I mean, America's a beautiful place. There's a part of this that's appropriate for us to love this time. Because it's a beautiful land, a beautiful place. And as I was sharing with Linda, that was part of the struggle, is all the goodbyes. Rich Mullins has a song where he says, no one told us that when we were born that we love this land so much. But it's not the land we're destined for. It's not the final place. But there will be a time, there will be a place where the sun ultimately does shine. The light has full exposure without a cloud of sin to bar the flow of the light. And you think things are beautiful now. Imagine then. I see you because there's light. Some lights are better than others. I see you better with better light. So just think for a second how we must would look when we have the light of Christ shining on us. Can you imagine? There's a beauty that we've yet to see out of one another. And we won't see until we see the full light of Christ shining on us. And when we see the beauty of one another, it's not to say, oh, you're beautiful, but to say, you look like Christ, and Christ is the most beautiful one my heart longs for, and I finally now am one with. And there is no goodbyes, and there is no diminishing, there is no age. This 
is living with hope. Look at the mountains, look at the sea, how beautiful they are, but how much more beautiful will they be with the light of Christ shining? I think about some of the quotes of Eli Weitzel. Talked about this night that would never leave him because of the Holocaust. But in 1986, in his Nobel Peace Prize speech, he had this statement. It seemed as impossible to conceive of Auschwitz with God as to conceive of Auschwitz without God. Therefore, everything had to be reassessed because everything had changed. Experiencing Auschwitz, he saw the absence of God and mankind, but yet God was still there helping him, carrying him through him as he looked back on it. There was this choice that he had. He said, I could continue to look at the depravity of mankind or I could look at the goodwill of mankind. And he kind of had to make a choice. Which one am I going to focus on? Later in that same speech, he says, no one is capable of gratitude as one who has merged from the kingdom of night. I think about Colossians chapter 1. Referring to Jesus, he is the one who's transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. All that to say, I don't have to live by the forces that impact society. There is a greater light. And the question I would ask you, are you looking at the light of Christ? What shapes you? What directs you? Do you love who Jesus is, and what he provides for us. And though there may be this, t- this timidity of saying, but I'm shameful, I don't want him to see, and he might ask me to change, I'm just going to share with you that what he brings to you is born out of a heart of love that says, I forgive you, I know all this already, and what I call you to, yes, it will be a change of lifestyle, but it is a joyous, beautiful thing coming from a heart of love. And his plans for you are for a future. And for hope. And so the real question is, will you trust this light of the world? Let's pray.